Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Gen X Grown Up. I am George, and I am a Gen X Grown Up. And today, I am joined by a gentleman who claims to be just on the edge of the Gen X Grown Up era. Famous Kids in the Hall creator, actor, awesome guy all around. Kevin McDonald is here with us. Kevin, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine. I think I was 30 when they invented the Gen X term. Uh, <laughs> But our TV show was on. It was like the early '90s, and um, and, the, and uh, so Gen X people were our fans. So uh, we sort of thought of it as a Gen X thing because people liked us. I mean, I like Monty Python, and, and when I was a kid, and they were like 20 years older than me. So get off my back! All right, I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> I'm a Gen X thing. I'm a Gen X thing. <laughs> All right. So you have a new series coming out pretty soon operatively titled Kids in the Hall with Amazon. Yes. Uh, There is a trailer that has a skit previewed in it where Dave Foley is playing Shakespeare. I was just wondering if you could tease that sketch a little bit, give us a little idea of what's going on there. Yes, we're not allowed to say too much um, about the sketches, but uh, Dave Foley definitely is Shakespeare. And vaguely, he's in modern times with, um, with a roommate played by Mark McKinney. Oh, that's going to be funny. Yeah, (laughs) I think so. And also there's lots of blood in it. (laughs) I hope I'm not saying too much, Amazon. But funny blood. Very funny blood. We we don't want to upset the Amazon overlords. Yes. (laughs) So you moved to Los Angeles from Montreal at a very young age. How did living in both countries at that time in your life influence you as a young person and as an adult actor later on? Well, it's really funny because when I was a kid in Montreal before we moved to Los Angeles, my dad was transferred there uh, and we were there for a year and a half, I think. And um, I, I loved um, The Monkey Show and I loved um, uh, The Saint, though that was an English show, and I loved the show Batman. And um, my erroneously, partly because um, the scene was sh- shot in London. But I said, Where, "Where's all that stuff done?" He said, "Hollywood, California." And my friends and I started making a giant balloon to fly to Hollywood, California. And um, and then a few months later, my dad said, "Kevin, you'll never believe this. We've been transferred to uh, well Burbank, California, but that's sort of right next to Hollywood. It's sort of the same thing." And we went to Burbank, and I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. Uh, and this was the late 60s, so I, I'm seeing a, a lot of hippies on drugs. And, and, and a Hell's Angel motorcycle guy hit on my mom. And my, my dad became Woody Allen. Well, well, just say hi to him. I, he'll kill me. Just say hi to him. Have a drink with him. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but but um, soaking it up sort of influenced me. But the biggest influence was that we were living uh, sort of down the block from NBC Studios. So Johnny Carson was there. I think I saw him drove dro- by once. Uh, Laughing filmed their shows there, and I saw um, Artie Johnson in the uh, as the old man in the park. Ruth Buzzy hit him with a purse, um, and that was like amazing. And then like uh, someone, some director said action, and then Ruth Buzzy hit him with a purse, and he fell funny. And they cut this time, Artie uh, fly over the bench, and they did it again. And, um, and like I didn't say I'm going to be a sketch comic, but that's what I was watching, and that's what I got excited about. 
Um, and also on my way to school, I had to pass the, um, the studios, um, NBC studios, where they were lining up for uh, Let's Make a Deal. So I, I passed by um, guys in giant pickle costumes or women dressed as uh, cigarette packs. And that's, <laughs> I know somehow that sort of influenced me. Can you tell us about your time studying acting in community college and what it means to be a one-legged actor? <laughs> um, yeah, it was a three-year program, and I made it three months uh, till they kicked me out. And what I don't understand is that it's a four-month semester. They kicked me out, like, before the last month. I don't get it. And I was like, um, you had to fail three things. And Jim, I won't say his name, Jim Lille, um didn't like me because I fell asleep in his class because they also put me in the wardrobe um, uh, unit like because the third year students get to do a play. First year's got to do all the work and wardrobe. We stayed up all night and I couldn't get home because I was living in a suburb of Mississauga uh, and it was like two hours away from Toronto. And I, I couldn't, so I slept in giant curtains. I had to make this curtain. I had made the giant curtain. I had to iron the curtain and I didn't know how to do it because I would iron one part of the curtain. And then um, I put it down, and then when I ironed this part, that part was wrinkled again. It was it was curtain hell. I was in the hell of curtains, and um, and it affected my class. I fell asleep in Jim's. Um, it was actually an improv class, <laughs> uh, and, and he hated me because um, we I, every time we did improv, I just did comedy. He wanted dramatic improv, I guess. Um, but I didn't like it. Forced the uh, the students to do horrible things. Like I, like I remember we did one improv where um, uh, you're doing an improv and halfway through the scene, everything changes, which I think is horrible because you should, uh, it's a horrible game to teach us. Um, they would never have done that as, as Second City or theater sports where I learned later uh, better comedy improv because you have to work your way towards the change. So there were scenes where um, the, the family life would be good and then all of a sudden they get a phone call and they find out they had cancer. Like that's that's not working your way to improv. So I did a th- I, I did an improv um, where we were doing um, we were supposed to be college students doing um, a lab tests like uh, we were supposed to testing the drug. And then I went back to take my drug and I came back as a mermaid, and I got the giant the most giant laughs to that point in my life, probably in the top ten of laughs. People were crying and falling off their chairs. And I remembered um, I found some kind of sack that I put on my legs. So I was a, I'm a mermaid. Great. Thanks. I just wanted a free donut. And now I'm a mermaid. And like, <laughs> and then I, I looked at Jim, the teacher, and I saw me die in his eyes. And he hated me. And I fell asleep in a class once because I was tired. And you had to, um, you had to like fail three classes. So he failed me in improv, which is sort of crazy. And he failed me in voice class. Um, he, I mean, he should have gave me 55%. I tried it, but I, I still don't know where my diaphragm is. I, I still don't know where it is. Um, and then his wife failed me in dance class. Um, uh, Nancy, blah, 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 blah. Um, I couldn't dance, but still, like, I, I showed up every day. I worked extra hard in the choreography. <laughs> uh, like, you shouldn't. So they, on a technicality, he, he had me fail. But my performance teacher, who did improv, um, we did improv in that class, so he knew I was a good improviser, and um, and he, um, he uh, we also did uh, we had to do like a they broke us in twos and we worked on it for a month and then we did like a, a small scene from a play and I did um, the Owl and the Pussycat with Sharon Helt who I had a crush on um, if she hears it she knows that yeah, hi Sharon I hope you're happy with that guy that you anyway um, uh, and I'm the only one in the class that got a hundred percent for like acting in a script. 
because I, I picked the part. Sharon is very nice. She's, um, she said, yeah, it's, it was a good part for her too, I guess. Um, though nowadays we wouldn't do it because she was a hooker. <laughs> and, um, but this is the, the early 80s. And I just picked a part where I knew I could do comedy timing. I knew that's where my funniest thing was. I'm not so good at writing jokes. It's uh, knowing when to pause, when to talk. And, um, and again, the class killed themselves laughing. And I got 100 And like I said, no one got in the 90s. And I got 100%. So anyway, when I was kicked out uh, by, uh, by a guy uh, who, who told me I was a one-legged actor who only had one leg, but he was limping around me because he was a one-legged actor, ironically. The reason he was teaching was that a few years earlier, he had, uh, uh, was doing the production of Pippin while a, a stage light fell on his leg. So he's limping around me telling me I'm one-legged actor. And even though I was really sad because my whole family was saying that I was stupid, I'd never be an actor, and I have to tell them they were right, I still saw the irony in a one-legged actor telling me I was one Anyway, uh, I left. Sorry for a long story. It's almost done. And um, then I went. I was going to take the, the beginning of my three-bus, two-subway, um, one-bus uh, trip back home while the, uh, my performance teacher – he said, Kevin, this is crazy. I try to talk them out of it. This is crazy. There's 10 people that should be kicked out before you. Uh, I don't even understand this, but you're really good at improvisation. And it's obviously your bent is comedy. And he gave me the phone number uh, to get into Second City Workshops. And, and the, um, the punchline of the story, it's not a comedy punchline. The, uh, the teacher uh, was also still an actor. And he became famous as the smoking man in um, The X-Files. Google it. I, I think I did read that, right? Yeah, well, everybody William, can Google William that. Davis. Bill Davis. <laughs> I had to say Smoking Man in X-Files. Uh, so um, I sort of owe him um, everything. And then I started Second City, and, uh, and soon I met Dave Foley, and blah, 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 blah. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Well, the curse is lifted and the kids are back. Ah, well, who's financing this time? The devil again? Well, sort of. Amazon. No! Okay, new plan. This is a bad idea. Do you know what Amazon wants from Kids in the Hall? Yes, Don, a, a funny show, but one that is free of targets. Oh, like some sort of penile stigmata. Alarming edginess or unsettling settings. The kids in the hall have been compared to Monty Python many times. Yes. How did your troupe come together, and how did you end up turning it into a sketch comedy TV show? Um, oh, geez. Well, um, at Second City Workshops, I met Dave... He, um, I had been there a year, and for that year, I was with another young guy called Mike Myers, and he was so good that he was like, like he's the second youngest person next to Catherine O'Hara, who was hired by uh, Second City, and he, um, uh, so he was gone, and I was alone, 
like I was, um, uh, I guess I was just turning 20 and everybody else was over 35 and they were just actors who wanted to learn a second city and hopefully get in to the main stage. Then, so my first day without Mike Myers, Dave Foley came in. We were paired by and then the, uh, the teacher started off, uh, Alan started off the class with breaking us into groups of two. And then we had to do the mirror exercise. And I, I was paired with Dave just by weird coincidence. And everyone else was being an actor. You have to mirror each other's movements and make it beautiful like a flower. Dave and I, right away, I didn't know him. We hadn't even talked to each other other than hi, hi. And we started doing funny movements and like hula dances. And then we sort of sl- slid to the floor and we were pretending we were being born. And then we crawled outside the floor and then we crawled outside the door and we crawled out of the sidewalk uh, <laughs> without even knowing each other. And then uh, through the window, we saw the teacher, get here, get um, and then right away we had chemistry. And then at the end of the class, I, he had done an improv where he was really funny in a way that, that I understand, the way that I connect with. And I was funny in an improv that he could connect with. So um, I walked over to him right away after the uh, class and said, do you want to join um, uh, my, my sketch troupe? I didn't have a sketch troupe. Um, I didn't even know his name. <laughs> uh, and he said, sure. And then um, later I had to call my friend Luciano Casimir. He said, we have to start a sketch troupe. I, I just met another guy. Uh, he's, in a way, he's better than Mike Myers. We have to, and, and that's how it started. And we were the original kids in the hall. Then Mark and Bruce were in a group in Calgary called The Audience. They were the biggest thing in Calgary, but it was Calgary. So they moved to Toronto, which is like the big smoke in Canada. And um, we gradually started working together. Um, and we took the name Kits in the Hall. The Bruce hated the name. Um, he said, well, okay, but just for a few weeks. Because um, I hate that name. And, uh, and then Scott Thompson forced his way on, in the troupe. Um, uh, he just, like, jumped on stage. And we sort of had, like, like, every show. And we did a new show every Monday at a club called The Rivoli. A show of new sketches from the summer 84 to the summer 85. And um, from that year, we got good and got quite a following. And, and, and like we had, a, we sold out and had to turn people away by the end. And, um, and that was the, at the end of that year, Mark said, we always do new sketches. Why don't we rent a theater out and do a week um, called the best of the kids in the hall? And we, um, uh, we did that. And it was the exact summer. Lauren Michaels had taken five years off Saturday Night Live. He was coming back and he sent talent scouts over a lot of cities in North America and uh, we got good reviews for our show. We sold out in a, like in a big theater every night. And um, this talent scout from NBC in New York came to see us um, um, on our last show. And the next morning, I was calling the movie theater where Dave and I were ushers. So, Dave and I can't come in. We just signed with the biggest comedy agent in Canada. We have, we have a conference call with Lauren Michaels. I can't come in. But, but don't fire me. And that's what it started. And first, Lauren didn't know what to do with all five of us, so he hired Mark and Bruce, who were the most experienced um, uh, as writers for Saturday Night Live um, in what I call the Anthony Michael Hall year. And then um, then Lauren finally saw us, and uh, he probably fired Mark and Bruce so he could work with us, and then he gets signed to do a show for HBO, and the rest is boring history. So you created a character named Sir Simon Milligan. Yes. What compelled you to create such an evil character. <laughs> um, well, um, uh, by the third season, we had hired some guys to write, but it wasn't like hack writers. It was guys that were in the troupe before in Calgary and when I went to Toronto uh, who quit because they had real jobs. The, the, the kids in Hall were the five of us because we were the losers that couldn't get any other jobs, like in Second City or writing for um, TV. 
And one of them is Norm Hiscock, who's become a big writer now. He's the showrunner of Space Force, the new season of Space Force. He's the, I call him my writing partner. He wrote with everybody. But I liked writing with him, so I called my writing partner. And we wrote every day together. And then he would go on to another Kinderhall. But it was always me. I was his constant. And um, we always had an idea to work on. But that day, we didn't have any idea. And um, I said, well, what are we going to work on today? And he said, I think we should do a sketch about that horrible thing that you do to people. I said, what? What a horrible thing to, um, you know, you always promised him you'd do something like our editor, Chris, um, uh, he was going to buy the um, new Paul Simon album. You said you had it and you were going to tape it for him. And then it's been a year and a half uh, <laughs> as a sort of the king of the empty promises. And, and, and I am sort of like that. It's because I'm a child of an alcoholic. I, I swear, and I want to please people, and I mean it when I say it. And then, um, uh, like a day later, the passion leaves me, <laughs> and and so I either forget or I say, "Oh yeah, but I can do that tomorrow." Yeah, I can tape that tomorrow. Um, so we wrote the sketch. We wrote it very quickly, and usually we have the story, uh, but we didn't. We just wrote it, and uh, we liked it a lot. But I thought I was just, um, it's. Uh, I was saying things like "will do" and slipped my mind, but just like me, and I thought it needed more of a character, like uh, like a sort of an over the top character. And, um, and do you know who Paul Bellini is? The guy uh, in a towel that we poke with a, a stick? Mm -hmm. Well, he's actually, he was Scott's writing partner. And Bellini has become a good writer since then. But back then, um, Scott wouldn't let him write. They'd be in their cubicle and you would hear, there'd be a waft of marijuana smoke over the cubicle. And then um, he, Scott just basically dictated to poor Bellini. And you would hear um, Scott say, uh, all right, uh, Bellini, write this down. And he'd say something. Then there'd be a long pause. Then you hear Bellini say, no, Thompson, I'm not going to write that. It's shit. And I thought that would be a very funny character to do. Um, and my impression of Bellini is totally wrong. But what I, when I tried to do it, a, a good character came out. So we made the King of Empty Promises uh, be that way. We'll do. Slip my mind. Look, I feel just sick about the whole thing. Tell you what I'm going to do. And um, and we tried it, and then we really laughed even harder than we were, Norm and I, at just the script. And, um, and uh, the rest, again, is boring history. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts. So we all agree that gender parity is a good thing. Well, that would be inadvisable in this case. Is it true what they say about Swedish pussy? That it's cheap, it falls apart in a couple of years? George! That's Ikea. Don't mansplain me. This oh, is really? the 90s. That shit don't fly here no more. I've opened a can of worms, haven't I? So, whose idea was it to give Head Crusher a rival 
And how long did it take you to write that rival sketch? Um, I think it was Mark's idea. But the thing is, um, I'd always did it with him uh, because I'm sort of the reason, like Mark, it's Mark's idea, but I'm sort of the reason why I got in the show. Because a few years before we had a TV show, we were just young, struggling stage performers. Mark and I one night went on a, um, I just got an email from Mark. <laughs> Mark and I, uh, when, when, before our show that we were going to do, we went on a double date. We were excited because no one dated us, loser comedians. And we took him to um, the restaurant that comics and musicians took everybody in uh, Toronto because it's cheap, but like good. And, um, and during the date, it was quite obvious the women were hating us and talking to themselves and rolling their eyes a lot. And then Mark, out of the blue, um, put his thumb and finger together. And he said, and I asked him later, he'd never done this before. It was his inspiration. He said, I'm crushing your head. I'm crushing your head. And the women left, stuck us with the bill. We're not um, sexist. <laughs> we're going to split the bill. Um, and then a few years later, we were in New York. In, uh, this is 1987 now. Uh, Lauren Michaels uh, brought us to New York for six months to write the pilot. And we, um, uh, we were writing the pilot. But uh, Lauren said, just don't do your old stuff. Uh, bring some new stuff that you think is TV-ish. And I went to Mark one day and said, oh, remember that time you crushed the heads of those two women? And he said, yeah, you're going to That would be great for the show. And Mark actually said, no, Kevin, that's stupid. Nobody would like that. And then I said, my famous moment in uh, cult comedy history, I said, Mark, if you do that character on our show, College kids all over the country will be doing it. And that somehow talked him into it. So I always was a part of it. I was there when he thought of it. I was the guy that made him um, remember it. Um, and so he always wrote me in head crusher scenes. And, um, and I'm not sure how the rival came out. It was his idea or we were doing it in the office all day. Uh, well, actually, we, we, did, we, we did it uh, um, between the pilot and uh, between writing the pilot and shooting the pilot. We did some live shows and we did it kind of live. Um, which was fun to do. So I was just always the side. In Head Crusher, he's Batman and I'm Robin. How was the chemistry getting back together with the other guys for your new Kids in the Hall Amazon series? Well, the chemistry is so great. I mean, the chemistry is the key thing about comedy. Like when uh, when Dave and I met at Second City and then um, then we met the other guys, Scott forced his way into the trip because we had chemistry. It's like falling in love and a relationship to last a long time, be it a, a, like a love relationship or be it a comedy relationship or a rock and roll band or sorry, rock and roll is dead. Um, a hip hop band uh, chemistry um, or jazz band or whatever it is, you know, it's based on love and chemistry. And it really is because I alluded to this earlier. Um, there were more kids in hall than just the five of us. Um, during the kids and hall days, the, the year, well, before the year where there was five of us, the year before that, there were like nine or 10 of us and, and people kept quitting because they got good jobs. There were even a, a couple of women in the troupe, um, uh, because women in comedy were so rare back then they were hired by second city. And that's why we sort of had to play women. But, um, <laughs> cause we were writing all these parts about our girlfriends and our mothers and, and uh, women we knew, uh, but the thing is, the the, uh, the ten people, the um, actually it was twelve. The twelve people that were the kids in the hall. There, it's not that those seven were less funny than us. We're all the same amount of funny. Gary Campbell, who's writing on our new show, um, he's the head writer of our new show. Don't undersell him, Kevin. He's the funniest one of us. Like 
he, uh, I thought for sure he was going to be, uh, like he chose writing instead of performing, but I thought he was going to be the new Steve Martin. So Frank Van Kieken, he's brilliant. Luciano Casimiro is like, I've stolen everything from him. Like, um, Sandra Seamus became the biggest standup um, in, in Canada and she's brilliant. Like she's, she's like Mort Saul brilliant. Like she's, um, now it's not because weak members left or it's not because a lot of members left and needed to be five. For some reason, the five that stayed were the five that had the chemistry. Because Gary Campbell, um, he was so good. I was sort of shy with him on stage. Or uh, Frank Van Keegan, he was so crazy. I was afraid he was going to hurt me. There was no, <laughs> there was no chemistry. Um, but when the five of us happened, um, that's when things started clicking. Um, the sketches we wrote, the sketches we um, uh, and then performed had a special different kind of chemistry. And Scott was the magic ingredient because um, there was a few months where it was just the four of us. And we were sort of more like writers back then. And we were, I mean, Scott and Mark was always an actor, but overall the four of us were sort of like uh, just writers and we'd be the back of the stage quietly telling our, uh, our clever ideas, like in our scenes. But Scott was a real actor and he, and also a showman. He's like, his talent is that he's the life of the party. And he literally forced us to the front of the stage. Um, and so people could hear us and see us. And that, uh, to answer your, your full question, that chemistry remains. You can't kill chemistry. I mean, a married couple uh, and a, a love couple of any kind, like they can, um, even brothers and sisters and sisters and sisters and brothers and brothers, they can fall out. They have a falling out. But the chemistry is there. They're just ignoring it because something else happened. Now, we're lucky that we've never had such a big fall. We fight all the time, but we've never had such a big falling out where we quit the troop. We, whether we're misguided or wrong or not, we think that the project that we're in, that we're one-fifth of, the kids in the hall, is something special. And we still think it's something special. So it would be crazy for one of us to quit it. It's like, if that's never gonna happen, we'll just start dying one by one. And, uh, and <laughs> that will be the end of the troop. Um, and so the chemistry is the same. Um, we're a little politer to each other because we're older now, except for Scott, who's just always gonna be Scott Thompson. Um, uh, it's, it's an easier version of our chemistry now. And, uh, and I like I have a real family, but my other family, the Kitson Hall, um, though I feel I'll die last, will be at our at my funeral if if I'm hit by a truck by accident or something. I'm knocking wood. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today here on Gen X Grown Up. Kids in the Hall, Amazon Prime debuts on May the 13th. We wish you all the best of luck, and we cannot wait to see more of your comedy stylings in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll make it stylistic comedy. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm gonna take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're gonna to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.